Hello and welcome to Screen Babble, your guide to what to watch. We'll be tuning into hours and hours of TV so we can tell you what you need to be switching on and what's to be avoided. I'm your host, Kelly Crichton, and as ever, our resident TV critics are here, Stephen Ross and Benjamin Jackson. Frozen salad in the four corners of the UK. Pretty much. Stephen, you do look like you're actually frozen solid. <laughs> uh, remember, if you want to see our faces, you can head over to Freeview Channel 276 Shots, which is brought to you by a network of journalists across the country who are transforming stories at the heart of your community into great TV. You'll find true crime, football news and analysis, plus coverage of lifestyle TV, film and much, much more. If you haven't tuned in before, each week we'll be chatting about what we're watching as well as looking more closely at a new programme or something making the headlines in the deep dive. This week, Benji tells us about True Detective, which is on all of the watch lists this week, as far as I can tell. Finally, we go back to the future to tell you about a programme you may have missed when it first aired or streamed. This week, Stephen is going to talk to us about C, which is on Apple TV. But first... We like to talk about what everyone has been watching recently. And let's face it, it's still January. Mm. Still January. Yeah. So we're still watching a lot of TV. Uh, Benji, do you want to kick us off this week? Yeah, well, uh, I decided to try and rewatch uh, Mr. Bates versus the Post Office, especially given that the inquiry is taking place. Okay. Made me even more angry now, especially given like how Fujitsu and the Post Office CEOs are kind of... Well, it's yeah. not us. It can't be us. It's someone else. So turned it off and thought, what better mm-hmm. way to soothe my soul than to watch The Silence of the Lambs for some reason. Or for <laughs> a reason. Going through a bit of a Jodie Foster binge as well. Something about cannibalism being more acceptable than what the post office have done to their sub Well, you know, if you want to if you want to go into it, what they did was a form of financial cannibalism. But um, oh, God, I would yeah. much rather uh, have... Hannibal Lecter looking after the post office. <laughs> you know what you're getting with Hannibal Lecter, though, don't you? <laughs> oh, no, definitely. You get a bit of charm, you know, maybe a bite out of your arm every now and again. But, you yeah, know, it, you wouldn't be yeah. having to uh, pay ridiculous amounts because of some computer software going wrong. And At you least and I he, both he'll know, you and dine you before he has his way with you. <laughs> oh, you and I both know that Hannibal Lecter would sort it out. How he would sort it out is is no clue. But no, I ended up rewatching it because uh, naturally I was tasked with True Detective season four. Um, I got a bit of a soft spot for Jodie Foster as well. I was mm, one of those few great. people that went to the cinema to watch Panic Room. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, that is a hill that I am still prepared to die on. <laughs> Blight plan might be a bit too far stretched for me, but yeah, I, it was um, a, a lot of Jodie Foster over the weekend, in particular the Silence of the Lambs, which I still think holds up in terms of cinematic value. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just just primed me, got me excited to see Jodie Foster on our TV screen. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Looking forward to hearing about True Detective. Anything else? Was that it? Was I mean, I think you've done a lot there, but uh, anything else you want to tell us about? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I mean, I ended up going to see Poor Things once again. Now oh, did it's you? on the yeah. general release, and yeah. it, it still holds up the second time round. And I maintain that. Mark Ruffalo is normally an actor I really like. I have a fondness. He always comes across as kind of like a nice guy, but he's absolutely fantastic in the role. And yeah, just just go and see it. Brilliant performances, stunning to watch in the cinema, and just just a lot of fun. Very yeah. different from the book, though, I found. Very okay. different from the book. I'm kind of intrigued with it. You know, like there isn't often that like films come out that have that such a kind of unique spin that you're like, hmm. 
This sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know? I think it's kind of cool that we're in a situation now in terms of going to the cinema where it seems like it's almost becoming cool again to go to the cinema. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's based on the whole Barbenheimer thing or yeah. just the quality of films that are coming out, but mm-hmm. it's also nice to see that films that aren't the big budget MCU, Disney, all of that palaver yeah, yeah. are kind of taking a side step for yeah. other interesting things like poor things and the holdovers, which I'm looking forward to catching this weekend as well. So it's it's a fun time to go to the cinema again yeah, this, and it's a great group activity. This this um, time of year, there's usually a few good ones in, isn't there, in the run-up to Oscar season? yeah. Some that have usually come out in America already, but we're just sort of getting them a bit later. Yeah, I'd like to see that as well, I must say. But uh, my trips to cinema are few and far between, unfortunately. So I'm not sure when I'll make it there again. But OK, cool. Stephen, over to you. What have you been watching since we last spoke? Yeah, well, I, I made it to the, the cinema as well. well and I saw The Boy and the Heron, which oh. is the new Hayao Miyazaki. The yeah, film. Yeah, I've, I've always had a, a struggle with anime movies mm. and Studio Ghibli. Um, I just, um, it's not really my style. I think it's a bit too sort of detached from reality to get a grounding into it. But um, I thought I'd give it a go. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> I, I, don't think, I don't think it was Bless just you for trying. Of my, Bless you for trying. He gave it a go, man, at least. I don't think it was just my distaste for anime, though. My my partner, who I went with, is relatively into the Studio Ghibli thing. She loved Spirited Away, which I thought was okay. Um, and she she was very ambivalent about, about The Boy and the Heron. She thought it was, in some ways, really good and in some ways, um, really bad. I thought it was complete ass. Um why? I mean, it was two hours long for a start, and it should have been about 80 minutes. It Every step forward the plot goes, it just gets further away from making any sort of sense. Mm. The main character, I don't really know anything about his personality. It's all about the world, I guess, rather than the characters in it, despite it supposedly being a character piece about this boy who's lost his mum in the firebombing of, of Japan during the war. Mm. Um, the first 10 minutes, I thought, oh, yeah, this this might be pretty good. This looks like a pretty solid, like, an anime I can get on board with because it started with the, the firebombing and the kid moves in with a, a new woman who's his wife's new partner and it's like a replacement for his mum and there's going to be some conflict there. And then the heron comes in, and then the heron is just like a a weird old man in a heron suit, and that's not really explained as, as to why. Because I was with my partner, I thought, well, let's stick it out. But I came closer to... I've never left the cinema during a movie, but the closest I've come before that was Dinner for Schmucks in 2010. Ooh. And I, I think it's about that level for me. Um but equally, I watched it and I said to my partner, I said, I know people will really enjoy this. I just don't yeah. physically understand how it's possible to enjoy it. Have you seen it, Benji? Yeah, uh, I've not I've not seen it. Uh, and I can no. appreciate that sometimes Miyazaki's and Studio Ghibli's work and meander. And I'm, I can't, I'm not even going to fault Stephen because as a cop-out answer, movie is subjective. You like what you like, you don't like what you don't like. But no, I, I've heard that there are some complaints sometimes about the length of uh, Studio Ghibli works. Uh, two hours is an awful long time to be sat in a cinema as well watching anime, especially when they kind of, they do like to meander a little bit 
go off the beaten track to come back around, but I'll probably wait until that comes out on home cinema then rather than go into the cinema because there's a lot coming out. So I, I appreciate Stephen telling an anime fan, a non-anime fan's approach to it. So yeah, maybe I'll save some money and sit that one out until it comes to probably Disney because they still have the rights to studio. No, it's Netflix now, Absolutely. isn't it? Has this been well received by the critics? Is this sort of I think like- so, yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's already won a... It won the Golden Globe Award for Best Animated Film, and it's probably oh. in for a shout with the Oscar. I say that because I think there's a romanticism that it was meant to be in Miyazaki's last film, so there was yeah. this oh. conference circumstance surrounding it, and then it turned out uh, not two weeks later I had to write a piece about, oh, he's not retiring anymore because there's a new Studio Ghibli film that he really wants to get involved with. So uh, I think How convenient. There was over the... Yeah, there was over the festival period, that pomp and circumstance, this is Hayao Miyazaki's last film. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. but wait, it's not. So mm-hmm. It's supposed to be semi, semi-biographical as well, right? Yeah, and I think perhaps maybe the critics inflated how great it was based on maybe the fact that it's Miyazaki's last work because he's so hallowed. But okay, yeah. yeah, two hours is a long time for uh, for an anime, definitely. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right, then. So that's a big no from you, Stephen. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I have been doing a few things this week. I wanted to talk briefly about Traitors. Have either of you been forced to watch Traitors, I wonder? Uh, Not by our editors yet, no. No, I'm surprised, actually. So I never watched the series last year. I am watching it this year. And like I said last week, it is one of those programs where it's like, I kind of feel a little bit dirty watching it. But I am enjoying it because, you know, there's just characters in there. And obviously a lot of this comes down to editing, but also some of these people just seem like terrible people. And it's their job to be terrible because they're traitors rather than faithful. If you know the setup, group of people put in a castle, they have to compete every day. And then three or four of them are picked as traitors at the start, but nobody knows who they are. And essentially Mm. the traitors need to kill everybody else off. And at the same time, the faithful, who's everybody else, they get to an opportunity to banish somebody every night and they hope to and aim to banish the traitors. But they are doing a terrible job of it and the traitors are doing a pretty good job in this series. So we've only had one traitor caught out of four and we've had maybe eight faithful been disposed of so far. Now, Yeah, gosh. Now, it is... Is so edited and it's all these pregnant pauses and cliffhangers. End of every every episode, we're left wondering who's been murdered or who's been banished or whatever. Um, but I have to say, I am enjoying it. And it does. I always say, if you're shouting at the telly, it's good. It's good telly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have found myself shouting at the telly quite a few times. So if you haven't checked that out yet, listeners, I would recommend it definitely. And Claudia Winkleman's style is fabulous. If you want to watch it for that alone, there's... um right mix of characters in there and uh, yeah there's a couple of them I just want to see get their comeuppance so much but um, there you go that's continuing for another couple of weeks it's on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night and I started After the Flood last night so um, that's the ITV drama based on uh, this cop who's about to go on maternity leave also about to sort of go to desk duty and start detective training and she discovers a body well a body's discovered in a lift in an underground car park and it would appear that he has drowned in the flood but then it turns out he was murdered 
And the one thing that really annoyed me about the first episode was she is kind of told she's got nothing to do with the case essentially, but she goes and she steals the files off off another detective and she takes a copy of the DNA and sends it to like a genealogy website. And I'm like, if you did that, you would be just be sacked. Like, it's completely illegal. Also, if she's worked as a police officer for however many years, she will know this and she would not do this. So I find like the whole story is hinging on a very unbelievable action of this person, which has kind of annoyed me. But the reviews have been quite good, so I'm going to stick with it as well. And I, it's, it's well, like they've put a lot of money into it. Like this this kind of flooded streets and stuff that they're filming in, you know, is really believable. Um, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, we, we see this guy that's on the run as well. So we know that it's going to link up somehow. And, and he actually saves a baby in the middle of the floods and... Anyway, there you go. So, um, yeah, so that should be good. And I did watch the first episode of True Detective. Okay, right. Over to you, Benji. True Detective, fourth series, I believe. First series was Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, that's correct, yeah. No no longer in situ as actors, but definitely involved on the production side of things, yeah? Yeah, so Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, they executive produced the first season and they've just gone all the way through uh, up until this season, starring Jodie Foster uh, as Chief Liz Danvers. So, I mean, the thing about True Detective is it is an anthology similar to American Horror Story where, I mean, every now and again, you you might get the odd character you saw from another season, you know, the old Evan Peters effect mm. when it comes to Ryan Murphy. But yes, yeah, so True Detective, Night Country, set in Ennis, Alaska, based around an Arctic research centre around there where Jodie Foster's character, Chief Liz Danvers, has to solve the mystery of a group of scientists that suddenly go missing, with the only body part left behind as evidence being the tongue of somebody. Now, naturally, HBO have asked me not to go into any details because hashtag spoiler alerts, but mm. um, yeah, it, it, the first episode is fantastic. I really liked it. I know, Kelly... Off air, we, we were having a bit of a discussion about it. Mm. But I mean, I, again, I, like I said, when we're talking about Sons of Lambs, I have a massive spot, soft spot for Jodie Foster. It's nice having Chloe Starling in an episodic TV series on our screens. Her co star, Kelly Rees, plays Trooper Evangeline Navarro, which brings an element of first mm. nation mysticism and spirituality to the show as well. Uh, but for me, the Biggest talent on offer in True Detective Night Country is very much the same way I felt about the first season of True Detective, and that is the scenery. Uh, mm, and I it's think amazing. I, I know, Kelly, you kind of don't like the idea of the whole isolated in a very cold, claustrophobic climate. It's not that I don't like it. It's more that it, I, I find that a lot of those TV series, I'm thinking like Fortitude and um, there's probably something else as well. You know, they, they they hint. Sorry, Fargo does that. Fargo maybe a little. They kind of hinge on you know the fact that there's not enough daylight and yeah yeah. But I mean that's I mean that's just the, the atmosphere and it, it being based in kind of like rope parts of Alaska and and the title itself um, Night Country. I mean it it's kind of hard not to understand that it is going to be set in complete darkness and I think there's something very primal that 
that comes along with you know darkness and cold and isolation especially yeah. at this time of year i think it's just that primal kind of fear that we have of being alone and nowhere no light or anything like that and i think that the strength of season four much like the strength of season one comes with the cinematography and the scenery i think would season one still be as good of a southern gothic take on the whole pulp fiction genre if it wasn't those cascading views of kind of like the swamps down there and the kind of kentucky Mm. fried scenery um I mean, I'm a big fan of John Carpenter's The Thing, which is probably the most definitive film Mm -hmm. out there when it comes to being trapped, isolated, Mm. freezing cold with kind of like a a very little hopefulness involved. Yeah, I think we should just for listeners, give them a little bit of the premise of the, um, the series. So essentially it opens up and we're in a research facility in somewhere in the Arctic Circle and or just outside the Arctic Circle. and Yeah, um, Alaska. So we're looking at the cusp yeah. of just going towards the Arctic Circle. Uh, yeah. Eight scientists in total that are there. And then for whatever reason, they go missing. Uh, and then the uh, the First Nation character, uh, the, the deputy of Jodie Foster's character, strongly believes that it might be intertwined with an earlier death. So mm-hmm. I get the kind of formulaic approach sometimes when it comes to true detective. It's retrospectively trying to figure out what has been going on. But it murders like that all the time in real life, retrospectively looking at yeah. things. And yeah, it's going to just get, I, I think, I mean, I've watched the first four episodes. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. I think the first episode really sets the tone but mm-hmm. it really, really gets to the narrative when you get to the second, halfway through the second, even the third episode is when the story really kicks off. I was delighted to see Fiona Shaw. She was in it in the first episode a little bit and I thought, oh, they're going to use her more, aren't they? So I'm hoping she features more heavily, which I think she will, because there's obviously another story there with her husband who's dead or a partner who's dead and she sees yeah. him. There's this yeah, sort there's of... This, um, You've got your intertwining kind of storylines going on. Um, but I, I I really enjoy it. I mean, I did not like the second or third seasons. I thought they mm-hmm. were – third season was a lot better than the second season. But the second yeah. season was just convoluted. Big fan of Jodie Foster. Really nice to see her on a heritage TV uh, channel such as HBO. Really, really happy yeah. to see her in the kind of pulp crime kind of genre once again, which yeah. she thrives in. Silence of the Lambs, for example. It's on Sky Atlantic. If you're an absolute mm. early bird, you can stay up Sunday night. I believe it screens at 2 a.m. Stephen, are we looking at? Looking at the time difference? Oh, well. I think uh, you just just after, yeah. Yeah, but if you are an early bird and you're happy to wait and close your eyes, cover your ears, sit in a cave, avoid all the spoilers that will come out that day, um, it does screen on Sky uh-huh. Atlantic from 9 o'clock on Monday evenings. And it's a real treat, but let's revisit it after it ends and go, was it as great yeah. as I've cracked it up to be or did it, did it fall off at the end? Touch wood, it doesn't. We were chatting beforehand and I said I hadn't watched the other three series. 
and it was like, hmm, will I add three series of something to my to watch list or will I just jump in here? And I thought, oh, you know what? I'm just going to jump in here. Yeah, why not? Go in at a deep end. Because like that, Jodie Foster kind of appealed to me and I very much enjoyed the first episode and I didn't really feel like I was missing any information by not having watched the other three um, series. So yeah, absolutely. Let's come back to it. Let's come back to it. Yeah, I mean, they're great. They're self-contained stories, so you don't have to follow it from the beginning. Just treat it as in as if it's part of a detective series, which it is. Absolutely. We're going to go over to Stephen now for Back to the Future. He's going to tell us about C, starring Jason Moma. I know nothing about this. Uh, yeah. C spelled S-double-E, not S-E-A, as, as where you might think Jason Moma has come from. Um, so, yeah, tell us. <laughs> That's a good little little joke Segway. to start us off. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a 2019 series, a dystopian drama, and it came to Apple TV on the first of November. It was one of the three original shows to land on the platform, alongside For All Mankind and The Morning Show. And it's the first of those three shows to complete its run as well. Okay. So it's sort of the original Apple TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to wrap this into a sort of mini Apple TV review as well, because I'm doing the free trial this week and just oh. having a look at what's on there. So C is set in sort of the real world, but two or 300 years hence, after um, the human race has lost all sense of sight from some sort of, I think, man-made disaster. And, of course, you know with the premise like this, what's going to happen is that a child is going to be born who can see. Mm. And, in fact, twins are born with the power of sight and they're sort of Jason's kids. I mean, that he's not their, their daddy, but he takes them on as their yeah. own. And yeah. it's a world where the, the concept of sight has become blasphemous the idea that anyone would be able to see is is terrible and should be they should be hunted down and killed there's this this evil sort of i guess governor of this dystopian america who who takes it upon herself to to eradicate any sort of notion of of sight mm-hmm. and jason momoa is basically responsible for bringing these two children up in safety because they could be the sort of salvation for the human race that has been sort of scurrying around in the dark for a few hundred years now. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty good. It's obviously dark, like both figuratively and literally. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's the, the set design's great because obviously they had to consider what would yeah. people wear if everyone yeah. was blind, what sort of tools would they need? How would they move? And that's all very clever and very well done. It mm. does mean it's a bit bleak, again, mm. for Jan- sort of January watching, because there's no... Colour and stuff. Colour, because why would mm. why would they wear dyes and, and all of this yeah. thing? Yeah, Sort of stuff. But it's totally pretty, pretty good. Um, mm. it, it gets the concept well and it, it makes it work. It's not like a sort of concept that they've tacked on without really thinking about how they have to bring it to life. It... it it does work really well. There's some great battle scenes where they've basically reverted to sort of Celtic levels of warfare, but it's really ingenious how they they make it look really good despite all of the combatants being completely blind. It's mm. yeah, it's very good. The opening opening episode has a really good set piece battle in it. I'm surprised that you're 
saying positive things. <laughs> why? Why? Well, you don't. Well, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> well, because you because you, you you ragged on um, the boy and the heron, which is kind of like a sacred cow for a lot of anime fans. So that, <laughs> that's why it surprised me. <laughs> yeah, no, the boy and the heron was not so good, but th- this is yeah, it, it's it's nice. It's not like the best TV show ever, but it's it's you know how I a long long while ago I reviewed Lily Hammer, which was mm. the first ever Netflix original, mm. yeah, and I thought Lily Hammer was a pretty strong start to what would become this huge thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not seen For All Mankind or the Mar- Morning Show, but I've heard very good things about those two. Yeah. Morning Show's yeah. very good. I think Apple started off on the on the right foot here. It's a it's not fantastic prestige mm. drama, but it's you could see it Solid. being a HBO primetime show. It's pretty captivating and it's sort of quite tight. It's 24 episodes over three seasons. So it's, it doesn't drag on and it, it it works really well. Um, And it really, the world building is is pretty solid for it. Is it finished? Yeah, done. Yeah. So it finished in 2022. Jason Moama was fantastic in it. And yeah, in terms of where it fits with Apple TV, I, I, they've got a very weird, I mean, it shouldn't be weird, but their their MO seems to be make a few high-quality shows and movies. So Netflix obviously has sev- several thousand shows and films on there, as and a lot of it's syndicated content, whereas as far as I can see, everything on Apple is, is an original, and they've got about 130 shows and about 50 films. So I would question whether eight pound, eight nine pound a month for yeah. that is is necessarily worth it because in terms of movies, if you're a movie buff, because I'd a, I'd a flick through and I've got this seven day free trial and I'm going to watch all of the movies that I'm interested on there within the, the seven days. Yeah, we There's, don't have it either. I mean, we've got everything else as well. Apple is like I'm still waiting for the thing to tip me over the edge. I think yeah. Ted Lasso is one thing that I'm disappointed that because it's on there, isn't it? I can't yeah. get that. Yeah. But other than that, I'm like not that bothered. Oh, I don't you know. know. So, I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that are paying that that eight ninety nine a month, and I I do think that it's kind of they're like Steve said. I think they're going for that prestige kind of quality rather than the Netflix mm. kind of quantity of syndication. Uh, because I mm. I got it solely for Ted Lasso, then I discovered Severance with Adam Scott, and it just sold me on mm. Apple TV. And we get Masters of Air shortly as well, yeah. which was another big one. So, yeah, I think that might tip us over the edge exactly. Yeah. But Apple's costly. Full stop. Look how much iPods are. Or iPods? Do they still exist? Yes. iPhones? iPhones? <laughs> AirPods, AirPods. Uh, AirPods. That's the one. Stephen, you can give us a bit more on Apple TV next week when you've watched those films and stuff and you can give us a bit of feedback. Uh, In the meantime... Yeah, and Masters. Oh, and Masters of the Air coming next week. Uh, That's exciting. Okay, thank you for joining us this week. Do look out for Friday morning's Screen Babble Weekend Watch, which will preview what to watch over the weekend and beyond. You'll find us on social media and we'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so we can reach as many TV lovers as possible. We'll be back next week with more Screen Babble. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Bye.